You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his own ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Give us the ability to embrace the truth that lies before us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So earlier in the chapter, we have a Gentile revival that has taken place. As uh, this took place, we, we saw last week that this was happening not by big names. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't James. It wasn't John. It, it, now it's even gone beyond just the, the early deacons of Philip. <laughs> Now it's no names, just some some believers, and we get where they're from, and they go into Antioch, and they begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles, something that's completely different. They've never done this. They'd always go to the Jews, and they would share the good news with the Jews and all the different villages. But because of the persecution of Stephen, now they've gone out and they're spreading. And we find in chapter 11, this is the first time that they've taken the word to a Gentile community. At the end of chapter 10, we've got Cornelius, the first that gets, and Peter is there and establishing that. But now we've got just believers sharing the good news. And the scripture says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. So we know that there was not only just an articulation of the gospel, but there was a demonstration of the gospel and that the kingdom was was being manifest with great power. And the result was a great number came to believe in the Lord. And so as that happens, we see that they send Barnabas to go check out the situation to make sure everything's okay. And as he goes, he's just amazed at what is happening. And he encourages and he continues his own ministry and he's able to release the miraculous and more and more folks are coming and there's another great harvest of people coming into the kingdom. What do you do when you have more than you can handle? Hmm. So here's Barnabas. He was a, his name means son of encouragement. He was a good man, which is interesting. The word here for good is, is not attributed to any man. You know, when, when they came up to Jesus and said, good master, would you? he said, oh, hold on. There's none good but God. And Barnabas had the reputation 
of the godliness of his life was so evident to all that they called him a good man. That's pretty amazing. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. So that's good. So he, he, he knows that they got a responsibility with all these new believers to see that they get nurtured. So what's he do? He leaves town. <laughs> Sounds like a good choice to me. You know, sounds like an evangelist. Come lead everybody to Jesus and take off. Leave it to who? The pastors. Yeah. So he, he goes off to Tarsus. He says, I got to go find Saul. Now he's not Paul yet. He's still Saul. So he's going to look for Saul. He goes to Tarsus and he gets Saul and he brings back Saul to Antioch and they spend a whole year being with the people and teaching them. Wow. Now, mind you, back in that culture and that day, they just didn't have 52 Sundays to teach. It wasn't 52 worship services that they came to for a whole year. No, the church met every night. The church gathered regularly. There was, there was constant coming. And these guys were pouring out. And, and we see, no doubt, that the revelation that the Saul had received is now getting fine-tuned. And it's with those new believers in Antioch that he's probably getting all the things of the Holy Spirit to just sharpen his mind, his heart, his understanding about God, because he's going to write like 13 epistles in just a little while, and he's going to start writing those things. And so we see that it's going out, and he's, he's sharing this stuff, and they're, they're carefully nurturing. I love that. I love that. We, we have that kind of activity here. It usually happens when there's a revival. You know, if there's a revival type of thing that comes in and it just disrupts a community, we find it in the history of our, of our own nation that when there's a move of the Spirit, they shut down everything and they continue to gather daily and to be in the presence of the Lord, to worship and to receive and to be taught. Now, the school that I went to, Asbury College, in 1970, they had a revival that took place there. Yeah. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school at the time, but some of the students came to our church and shared what God was doing. And it was a regular, I think it was a regular Wednesday chapel service where all the students would get together. It would be towards the middle of the morning that they would gather in between classes and they would have a service and we'd sing a few songs and somebody would preach the gospel or preach something. And uh, well, they wouldn't preach something that wasn't the gospel. They'd preach from the Bible. They would, they would share something and we'd have an incredible time. But that time, one of the kids, one of the guys from, from the dorm was convicted of, of his sin and went to the altar and repented. And revival broke out. One of my good buddies, and uh, we were in school and seminary together. Uh, he's pastoring up in Muncie, Union Chapel, United Methodist Church. And uh, as, as we were there, his, his, he, when he graduated, he went up to the Muncie area and he had two churches that he was overseeing as, as the pastor. So he'd preach one and then go preach the other and all this kind of stuff. And he said, you know, being a Methodist, what you do is you, you got to have your fall and spring revivals. 
And so he ordered a week, you know, he, he got a song evangelist and somebody to come. And, and so he, he set the schedule for a weekend revival. And he said the craziest thing happened. The first night, there was a person who came forward and confessed their sin and repented. And revival broke out. So he had a little group of 30 and a little group of 60. And now I think they're probably about 2,000, 1,500 to 2,000. Just revival, just amazing. And, and they met all the time. And, and they would meet continuously during revival. That's what we do. At Asbury, when it happened, they canceled classes the rest of the day. And so they stayed in Hughes Auditorium. If you ever get a chance in Wilmore, Kentucky, step in the Hughes Auditorium. The anointing is still there. You can walk in. I'm getting goosebumps just talking, thinking about it. And I, I had the honor of being in that place so many times. It was just just amazing place. And then they canceled classes the next day. And they canceled classes the next day. And if, if memory serves me right, I think classes were canceled for two weeks. And it changed everything. Lexington, Kentucky was bringing in all their, their news media people coming in to film what was going on because the service never stopped. It was 24-7 for a week or two. I think it was two weeks that it went. And then they started having classes, but the, the Hughes Auditorium was still open and, and students were going all different times, day and night, and were just seeking the Lord. And so when you have revival like that, you've got to come and you've got to nurture those new, new believers. Why? Because there's an adversary who as soon as you say yes to Jesus, he's going to give you 15 reasons to say no. And if, if you were convinced by somebody's persuasive personality or argument or something like that, if you could be talked into salvation, the devil could talk you out. That's why we say that the, the new creation conversion is a new birthing because it's hard to get unbirthed once you've been born. And so as, as you get born in, now the new birth needs to be nurtured. And so now Barnabas, who is just the most encouraging person on the planet, and Saul, an incredible, an incredible Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, now taking that same kind of zeal and putting it in his relationship with Jesus and getting revelation of all the Old Testament scriptures that he understood, and now understanding how it comes to bear in light of Jesus, the Messiah, who fulfilled them, and he's able to release it. And so they're being taught all the time. So being right in New Testament vein, we will get to have a service once a week. You can come and be taught. If you're really hungry, you can get up and be here an hour early and go into Chuck's class and be taught by a five-fold teacher and really get the scriptures broken down for you. Uh, I would that ye all were in there and we'd have to, to, to move out of that into another place. And we've already been thinking, what are we going to do when, when that group gets so large? Because the worship team's in here in the morning. We're, we're thinking, well, we'll have to open up the fellowship hall. 
we'll have to open up the fellowship hall to have teaching time. And Chuck is an anointed teacher, and I highly encourage everyone to come under the teaching of the Holy Spirit as it manifests through Chuck. Chuck, we didn't honor you today as a pastor, but you're an amazing teacher, and uh, we thank you for, for all that you're doing here. You are a gift sent from God, and we receive you as such. And so that's, that's opportunity. As a, I, I know we live in a different culture, and some of you are working 40, 60, 80 hours a week, 120 for some. <laughs> but uh, it's the kind of thing that I'm always jealous because there's always something that I want everybody to know but there's no, there's no time slots for everybody to gather so that you can get this understanding. So we have ISSM, we have Kingdom School of Kingdom Ministry, we have these kind of things. Well, on Wednesday nights, we're, we're listening uh, to a, a, a video series by Sean Bowles called Translating God. Uh, I think that's rather significant. I think that has just been one incredible means of stretching. There's not anybody in this congregation that's too mature for that teaching. Most of us are like kindergartners in there and we're getting stretched and it's just like amazing, amazing stuff. Learning how to hear the Lord for yourself and then for others that are around you. And uh, that, that's wonderful. If you miss that, well, you're just going to go to heaven without knowing anything about that. No, no, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Because uh, there'll be another opportunity to hear that. Right now, as we're teaching that here, I'm doing an online course with Sean Bolts called God's Secrets. Living a Lifestyle of Words of Knowledge. Oh, man. That is so Amazing. And we will be teaching that here just as soon as we get through with this one and uh, continuing to have incredible teachings. Why? To nurture, to nurture, to nurture. Because if, if you say, well, you're a new Christian, all you need is a Bible, people can make this book say almost anything they want it to say. But if you learn how to have that relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, now the spirit and the word becomes an incredible tool to defeat the kingdom of darkness. And we can really, really grow. And uh, we've got so many wonderful, wonderful folks that have poured their life into this and are sharing uh, just incredible revelation from the Lord. Really good stuff. So you can show up on Wednesdays. That starts at 6.45. Worship 6.45 to 7 at 7 o'clock. The video starts. Not 701, not 702. If you want to see all of the video, you need to be here at 7 o'clock. Well, absolutely. Yes, open your heart to, in the worship so you can really hear everything that's, that's being said. Well, one of the things that Sean had spoke about, um, well, very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. Yikes. Very, very fast. Uh, 
this week the Holy Spirit's just having me meditate. I've been meditating on, on just the thought of, of the amazing work of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. And as I, as I started there, I, I realized that, that when Jesus died upon the cross, that all the wrath, all the wrath of God was taken. And God's not filled with wrath right now. Jesus' penalty of dying for you and me took care and atoned for all the injustice of our sinful choices and, and behavior throughout. And I, I was just thinking of that. I just thought, wow. So I was thinking of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and the word confess means if we'll say the same thing that God says, it's say, saying the same thing, we're agreeing. If we confess that we've sinned, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have that, and, and God's wrath is taken from us. And if you've invited Jesus into your heart and asked him to forgive you your sins, there is not a sense in which God is mad at you. He's not anger when he looks at you. Even if you commit an offense, even if you sin, sin no longer separates him, us from him from the standpoint of, of his anger towards sin. No, it's been fully fulfilled in Jesus. And, and when, when you think of that, why is it still important for us to confess sin? Because sin does have a, a role to play in our lives. The level of intimacy that we have with the Lord, the sense of oneness and partnering with God really is, is almost defined because right now the only thing uh, with the cross, Jesus has broken and he has declawed, he's detoothed the lion that seeks to prowl and roar, seeking someone to devour. And now the enemy has lost his power over the believer. He still has power <laughs> over the unbeliever, but he doesn't have power over the believer. Amen. He doesn't. He's lost his innate power, but what he does have is knowledge. And the kingdom of darkness, the evil one will use knowledge against us all the time. That's why he drops in thoughts. That's why he drops in lustful thoughts, thoughts of temptation. That's why he tries to get us to agree with him. And we find that when we agree with him, even though Jesus has taken all that and absolved us and atoned for our sins on the cross and his resurrection, we find that the enemy, the only way that he can restrict and limit and, and continue to have an effect upon us is as he gets us to agree with the thoughts that he wants us to agree with. And so he makes us feel like we're worthless. He shame out the wazoo. He will use shame in all its manifestations. Every sense of low self-esteem or personal inferiority, he will magnify that as much as he can to try to cause us to believe that we are not who Christ says we are. And all of a sudden now it, it, it becomes a, 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 a dynamic of what we know and what we know. And that's why Barnabas went and got Saul and they did intensive training 
for a year. Why? Because all that new birth and all that revival, the enemy was going to try to come and attack and attack the hearts and the minds of the new believers and getting them to believe something about themselves that wasn't true, getting them to believe something that, about God that is not true, but getting them to believe something about other believers in the church that's not true. Because that's the only weapon he has right now is to get us to partner and agree with him with his malicious, evil, destructive, restricting, strangulizing thoughts. And that's all, he, that's all he's got to, to use against us. And he oftentimes gets us to do his work for him. Hmm. Now I don't like that. I used to pray on a regular basis. Today, Lord, I want to do your will and not the enemy's. Help me not do the enemy's will today, Lord. I want to do your will today, which is a cry of Holy Spirit, come and live large in me. Renew my thinking and my understanding. If what we find, Paul, as he came, as he came to Antioch and he taught, he's the one that wrote to the, to the Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit searches the deep things in the heart of God and he reveals them to us. I like that. Come on, Jesus. Yeah. Let's, let's get this going. It goes on, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify. Ooh. Purify us from all unrighteousness. I should look at my notes, I guess. Because <laughs> there's, there's some really cool things. When he forgives our sins, he puts them away. And uh, what I thought was really interesting when he does that is that he leaves them, they're forsaken, they're dismissed, they're divorced. They're divorced. I like that. They are dead. They die. They're removed, they die, okay? Purify, to make clean from physical stains, dirt, to cleanse by curing. Leprosy. Mm-hmm. Free from defilement, purity from wickedness, to consecrate, to consecrate by cleansing, to dedicate, to purify us from all all unrighteousness. And in the Greek, the way that they, they say just the opposite of a word is they put an, an A in front of it, which means just the opposite. And so when we see unrighteousness, what's the goal? Righteousness. You're purified from unrighteousness so that the righteousness of Christ will be manifest in your life. So I was looking at that and I just thought, oh, this is so good, Lord. I was having a wonderful time with him this week. And I just sensed that he said, you need to give everybody an opportunity, an invitation, that if they would like to be purified today from all unrighteousness, he's absolutely willing to cleanse. Hmm. Now, sometimes we, we, we look at that and we just take that and associate it with salvation. 
But you know, you can pick up defilement, as I've just explained, by not understanding who you are and the truth about God and the evil one putting in lies and, and deception and temptation and all those things. And when we agree with it, it begins to go the other direction. So I want to be faithful to the Lord and say, for those that would like, not only to be forgiven, but to be purified from all unrighteousness. All you have to do is confess. Let's bow our heads. Hmm. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son, Lord Jesus, to die for us. That we wouldn't perish, we thank you for that, but have everlasting life. And Jesus said you, that you came that we might have life and have it to the full, that we'd have a full, abundant life. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and if if any of us are, are having that sense of condemnation and shame or that awareness, that awareness of a need for a, a purifying so that we can be connected to you and partnered with you and wholeheartedly yours, we confess. Holy Spirit, we need you to even bring before us the things that we need to confess. And it's not so that we won't have your anger, but it's so that we can be more intimately connected to you. We say no to unrighteousness. We say yes to your righteousness, Jesus. We want to say the same thing about ourselves that that Holy Spirit and Jesus are saying before you, Father, as they live to make intercession for us. I pray that you would give us a moment where we'd go to heaven and we'd be able to hear right now what Holy Spirit and what Jesus is praying for each one of us so that we can be in agreement with the prayers of heaven. Hmm. So Holy Spirit, let the cleansing, purifying blood of Jesus flow through us, in us, and to us. Let it touch us spiritually. Let it touch us emotionally. Let it touch our minds and let it touch our bodies to the glory and praise of your name. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Amen. Well, I've gone too long. We'll miss the last song. Thank you, worship team, for being prepared for it. But I just want to encourage you to look around the room and let's think the right thoughts that the Father has for us about ourselves and about one another. And let's see how he can use our words to build and encourage, just as he used the words of Barnabas and Saul to encourage the early believers at Antioch. Outside of that, this is a glorious day. Let's keep Bev and John in our prayers and hold them up.
thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.